Hello and welcome to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute, or thereabouts. Um, my name is Sarah and I am joined by my esteemed host, uh, co-host, sorry, MJ. Hi Sarah. Hello, how are you doing today? I'm good, how are you? I am very well, I could not be more excited right now. <laughs> Yep. I, I'm so ready to talk about this film. Um, we uh, spoke on our uh, kind of mini intro episode about why we love this film so much. So um, yeah, do go and check that out if you haven't listened to that already. And you can kind of get to know us a little bit and what we love about this film so much. And um, we're ready. We're ready to get stuck in uh, to our first kind of proper episode um, looking at the first uh moments or so of of jaws um so just as a very brief explanation for anyone who didn't catch that first episode um we are inspired or inspired to start this by um a podcast called uh, star wars minute where they go through star wars minute by minute and break it down in incredible amounts of detail um so we wanted to do that with jaws and um we've tried to keep it to around uh, a minute of uh, of the film but there are some moments that uh, just don't kind of have that natural cutoff point or it stops halfway through a sentence or something. So there'll be some episodes where we cover a little more than a minute, but hopefully you're not watching your clocks too closely and you'll forgive us for that. Um, so this first episode, we do in fact cover uh, just over three and a half minutes. Um, and boy, is there a lot to talk about in those three and a half minutes. Um, so if you want to uh, watch along with us, it is uh, from right at the start, so zero, uh, to three minutes and 35 seconds in. Um, so you need to stop it just as the it moves underwater to look up at Chrissy. And I know you're going to want to carry on and watch the rest of it, and you can. But those are the three and a bit minutes that we are focusing on for today, and then you'll have to come back next week uh, to hear our thoughts on the rest of it and keep coming back every week to hear what we have to say about all of the moments in Jaws and yes this is the uh the opening of the film obviously we're still <laughs> we're starting right at the beginning so it goes without saying um so the opening credits the introduction of uh the kids on the beach and kind of up to when uh Chrissy uh, says come in the water that's basically the bit that we are covering so um where do we start on this um let's start obviously with how the film starts and just how iconic it is from the very opening moments when we first hear that score and the score that is so synonymous with this film everyone knows the theme tune to Jaws you don't need me to hum it uh, you have heard it. Even if you haven't seen the film, I think you will have heard it. And let's, yeah, let's talk about how effective the the score is in the opening and just the way in which it creates that tension just right from the off, I guess. Um, it just, it's, so if you've heard me on other podcasts, you know, music isn't the first thing I notice about a movie, which is weird because I'm an audio engineer. Um <laughs> But it, it, it almost never is, with very few exceptions. Jaws is probably the biggest one of them um, because it's so in your face. It's the first thing. Basically, what we learn about this shark is that it's sentient music. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we don't really see it when it first shows up. We just kind of see this this first person or first shark view of the shark swimming through the water with these, that iconic, just two note, um, melody underneath it. And it's so evil. <laughs> it just sounds <laughs> so scary and menacing, um, in that context, you know, it's, it's, and it, I think the, the thing is, it's become the shorthand for something scary and menacing about to happen. Mm. Yeah, I think it's just, you. You just know as soon as you hear it, and I think the fact that it starts with the the black screen as well, like before the kind of the titles appear, it just feels very ominous. And actually, you get the 
it's, it's kind of like a split second in it but you get the sound you get those kind of like first like two notes before anything appears on the screen so that is the first thing that you hear um and just how effective that is in just creating that tense mood and immediately you know like something scary is about to happen and it creates that mood with just those kind of you know two you know the two main notes of of that melody as you were saying and we don't even see the thing yet and like already we're scared like i don't know many other films that do that as effectively as jaws yeah well and i think it's even funnier when you know kind of the backstory of it that spielberg thought it was a joke Mm. when (laughs) when when john williams played it for him he kind of jokingly went oh yeah you've got it figured out Mm. and john williams was like yeah no i think i actually uh, i'm pretty sure this is yeah it's just gonna be these two notes (laughs) yeah i think as well like um i was reading something about because uh, the technical issues uh shall we say with the with the shark um that they they couldn't have it um on screen as much as they wanted to so there needed to be something that was so menacing and that could kind of like stand in the place of the shark so the score is that thing um and we are fearful of that sound and of that score long before we see the shark i mean i can't remember exactly how many minutes into the film it is that we kind of really get our first glimpse of the shark we see uh, a, a fin here and there and um about sort of uh, 20 30 minutes in i think um, but don't kind of really see it fully until we get to the you know the the famous line that everyone knows which is about an hour and 20 in so prior to that point we we need to have something that we fear that we are scared of and uh, because that is the the mood and the atmosphere that this film is is creating um but it has to stand on its own and i mean it does it works it really works yeah i think you know watching that and and knowing obviously yeah the the other context of the shark not working mm a lot of the time and them not being able to get the shots they necessarily wanted with the shark it kind of there's the saying that necessity is the mother of invention Mm. and it feels like this is the case study for limitation is the mother of creativity Mm. so they have to they have to bring something to the table in order for you to feel something about it and instead of trying to find a workaround that would be kind of cheap looking or something that would give us too much too early, Spielberg and Williams decided to make that the score. And I think that makes it so timeless. You know, we've Mm -hmm. talked about, we talked about, I think in the first episode or in the episode zero about the, the effects, maybe some people think they don't hold up at all, but the thing about it is you don't see the effects that much so it mm. does hold up really well you only see i mean it's <clears throat> less than five minutes of screen time you see the actual shark puppet on screen yeah and it's so effective and i think is what contributes to the sort of timeless nature of the movie mm. yeah it's it's i struggle to think about what this film would be like without the score and i'm pretty sure there's there's probably like some clips you could watch somewhere where they've like taken the score out i know i've watched it for like the star wars uh throne room scene where they take the music out and it is legit terrifying and also super awkward um without the iconic score but i mean i guess you could put it on put it on mute or something but I don't know. I've seen this film so many times that I'm just like imagining the score in my head as it as it plays out. Um, so I have a firsthand account of that magic uh, at work, specifically between John Williams and Steven Spielberg. Um, so la- last year, two years ago, something like that, John Williams plays at the Hollywood Bowl every year. He conducts the LA Philharmonic Orchestra in uh, his music. He, it's every August. He's done it for decades. And it's always been, I'm not that far away from the Hollywood Bowl. It's always been one of those kind of film nerd bucket list items, right? Of you got to mm. see John Williams at the Bowl if you can. I always said every year, every year was the year I was going to do it. And I never did. And then two weeks before the concert in, I want to say 2018, they announced Steven Spielberg was going to be there introducing oh. on stage with John Williams, introducing the songs. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm going. 
I, I have to buy, like, I will buy the tickets and figure out whether or not I can afford them later. Yeah, take my money. And, <laughs> yeah, so I bought the tickets and I went, and this is going to sound really weird to complain about because I saw these two icons do this, but they didn't play Jaws, um, <laughs> which was, you know, frustrating for me. But one of the things he did is he made, Spielberg made us watch the entire intro to the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade with no score and then made us rewatch the same sequence with the LA Philharmonic playing the score while John Williams conducted it. <laughs> and the first time he made us watch it with no music was so awkward and off-putting mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> to the point where it, it, at a certain point, I think the audience like a little bit turned on Steven Spielberg for making <laughs> us do that yeah. because everyone was like yeah man we get it it doesn't sound good and he just kind of he just kind of kept it just like yeah this is kind of bad huh and just made it he made us watch the entire sequence mm. of of that that opening train chase with the the young Indiana Jones where he gets the scar and the whip and the hat and all that um <laughs> And it was very awkward. Yeah, <laughs> to I the bet. point where where there were people talking about it, where it was like, "Man, that was really weird that he made that made us do that, huh?" And then mm-hmm. the the follow up to the conversation was, "Yeah, but it was so good when that score kicked in." Yeah, and we watched it the second time, so I have definitely <laughs> witnessed the the alchemy that happens when Steven Spielberg and John Williams collaborate um, with my own eyes and ears. Yeah. Yeah, it just it just goes to show like what an important part music plays, and I think that mm-hmm. um, score is something that I generally do pick up on, and I listen to a lot of film scores just in my spare time, and um, something that I enjoy enjoy doing. And I think that the the perfect film score will either be one that like perfectly suits what is happening on screen to the point where you almost don't notice it. Um, as in it doesn't kind of like stand out as being like out of place or it doesn't fit or whatever. Um, but also that on the, the the flip side of that, that you could not imagine that film with different music. Like it's so just part of the film, like they feel so kind of like stitched together. Like they just, the two cannot be separated. And I, I have listened obviously to the Jaws soundtrack just on its own. Um, and being as familiar with the film as I am, um, I can picture, I can close my eyes, I can I can almost play out the film in my head when I listen to just the score on its own because to me the two things go absolutely hand in hand and I I think that it's so, from, from the, the very opening of this film, I mean we are literally talking about like the first like few seconds here, it's just, it's so evident how important that score is going to be to the film and I mean you can probably speak to this as well but I've got friends who have never seen Jaws um I know who who are these people I'm friends with um but (laughs) but they they know that tune they know what that is from and I can't I I can't think of I'm sure there are other well-known kind of uh film scores or, or you know even like tv themes or something that people you know are so recognizable that people will immediately know what it's from whether they've seen the film or not but i don't know if there's another one that is as simple as just like two notes and you know what film it is yeah i don't think so and the thing too is kids know that mm, yeah and they'll they'll be able to tell you it's from jaws and they may not even know that Jaws is a movie. Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> y- you know, everyone knows it's those two notes and it's from Jaws, whether you know what Jaws is or not. Mm. Yeah, that's actually a very good point because I uh, we spoke about this on episode zero, but I when I, I first saw Jaws, uh, probably around like eight, nine years ago, so like my early 20s. Um, but as a kid, like in a swimming pool or at the beach mm-hmm. or something... I was aware of that music. I don't know how I came to be aware of that music, but I would sneak up behind my pals and try and drag them underwater whilst uh, humming the score, <laughs> the score yeah. from Jaws. It's just everyone knows what that music is. And I just find that so crazy that something can be so so part of, of, of pop culture and just, uh, you know, just out there that people just immediately 
know what it is whether or not they they know what jaws is or have ever seen it i just find that so crazy and i can't i can't think off the top of my head of another piece of music that that has that same power really yeah i mean i think there's some stuff from star wars yeah um, that kind of has it but it's not just those two notes either yeah yeah i think maybe like um i'm thinking of like the imperial march or something yeah. i think that a lot of people would hear that and be like oh darth vader or they could they kind of make that association or they they know the star wars music because it is so recognizable and and does kind of have that that power as well but yeah it, i i don't think you could hear just like two notes from a star like a star wars score or any other score and just be like i know what that is <laughs> but yeah. you get that with jaws like absolutely yeah so should we talk about as well like how the the way in which the film starts i mean you kind of mentioned it um i liked did you say like first like first shark or something <laughs> it's like first person perspective this is like yeah yeah i said first person <laughs> then i said i guess it's first shark yeah first first shark perspective um and just how effective that is as well in that it it not only kind of you know creates this this sense of the villain but like we are the villain <laughs> we the, it starts off like we see the you know the bottom of the ocean like from the shark's perspective and that is what the camera is the camera is the shark in that moment and so we are kind of like seeing the things that the shark is seeing and i don't know i mean I, i'm not i've not seen too many horror films so i don't know if this is a thing that is often used but any other kind of like examples you can think of where like we are put into the the shoes that of the of the villain and we kind of like see things like from their perspective so the first halloween has that yeah the very the very opening scene to to the original um john carpenter halloween is michael doing his first kill as a child yes. um and it's shot entirely in first person um but those uh, that's about the only other example I can think of um, mm. without getting into, I mean, not a horror movie, but something that's like, uh, like hardcore Henry or something that's shot entirely in the first person. Yeah. And I mean, ugh, I don't like that film. We won't get into that, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think um, Halloween was 78, right? So mm -hmm. I, w I would be willing to bet that it was potentially influenced by yeah. the opening of Jaws. I mean, I can play like, six degrees of separation with any film and somehow get it back to jaws so <laughs> it is a skill and it is a talent um but yeah it's it's i think it's so effective in just putting us in that position of the villain and kind of unusual as well because you know just it, you think that in a film you're supposed to kind of um see things as the as the protagonists do and i think you know we do for for the most part but just that how much scarier it is to kind of like put the audience in the shoes of the villain and like how effective that is in the opening yeah and i think it's really important too that they when you're watching that you know that kind of roughage underneath the um the ocean being pushed aside by what would essentially be the snout of the shark. Mm. The way the camera moves is very much um, communicates that this shark is on the hunt and yes. is looking for something mm -hmm. and you are looking for something with it. Um, and I think that's really important to get once again, the menacing nature of like this, problem the shark um it's very unsettling like it's very jerky and 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 purposeful it's got it's it, it knows it's looking for something if it doesn't know what it is quite yet mm, yeah um, and i think that goes a long way to setting up like oh this thing this thing is operating on a very primal level that we cannot reason with mm, yeah i think that that works really effectively with the score as well that it's not just mm. like a happy little shark going for its afternoon swim like this is a shark that is looking for something um it seems pretty set on finding whatever that thing is and 
you know we we are put in that position so we we feel scared and we are seeing seeing what the shark is seeing and already you kind of get that sense of unease and that sense of dread you're like this this thing is hunting is looking for something and i think that it i mean there's something i want to come back to in a little bit about in terms of like prey and kind of like you know when you kind of like latch onto something and and this is clearly what the shark is doing um in this scene um so that's something i'm going to pick up in a bit but yeah i I think in terms of how this film sets up the the first kill um i think it's so cleverly done because i think so many um particularly horror films i think if we're thinking about sort of like the slasher films obviously like you mentioned halloween and, and that does it very effectively as well in kind of seeing it from the killer's perspective but so often when you the the opening of a horror film is very often the kind of like the first kill isn't it um yeah and and how those are set up and i think that yeah obviously huge amounts of bias uh we love jaws but (laughs) i think jaws does this probably more effectively than any other film with so little and with also not even seeing the thing itself and when we get to the first kill which we will talk about in uh next week's episode even then we don't we don't see the thing it is a very long way into the film that we actually see the shark for the first time like we said so we have to feel that sense of that fear and that unease just for, you know from this opening and it gets that like done in less than a minute and yeah. I am in awe of that every single time. Yeah, the, the the level of craft on display in this movie is astronomical. Mm. It's it's it, it, That's the thing that keeps me coming back to Jaws, I think, is just noticing the things like that. Noticing, oh, this shark is on the hunt. We are hunting with this shark. And mm. the music is letting us know. The camera is letting us know. The synchronicity of the, 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 the audio and the image, because movie making is an audio visual medium mm. is so clear and concise from basically a second time director. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he had two, he had two TV movies and then Sugarland Express and then Jaws. Mm. Yeah. It's crazy. That, that level of skill uh, that is from such a, a young uh, he was so young as well when when yeah. he made this he was in, in his 20s um yeah. i can't remember exactly how old he was but like i'm 29 and i'm like what have i done with my life i haven't made <laughs> <laughs> i haven't made jaws uh, i need to step up my game um yeah but yeah let, let's get into um obviously like we're talking about how that first kill is is kind of established and then when we get out of the credits and into kind of like the opening scene um there's that great a uh, moment of kind of like immediate contrast uh with the credits so we have this very the, the music kind of becomes increasingly more frantic as the credits go on as the shark is getting closer to their prey or is you know th- that is the sense that we're getting that they are kind of like on the hunt and they are nearing their goal um and then we kind of like cut to the um the group of teenagers on the on the beach and the music is quite sort of upbeat uh, it's music that the teenagers themselves are playing um they've guitars and other instruments and there's this kind of like general uh chatter noise that's going on and it's very much kind of like the calm before the storm and because we've just seen what we've seen which is this kind of uh ominous uh opening we instinctively know and i think anyone knows this regardless of how many films they've seen or not one of these teenagers is getting eaten and we are looking across this crowd and we are say, we are like who is it going to be like i know it's going to be one of them which one's it going to be and i think that's something that i think so many films have done since where it kind of contrasts this this dark and ominous opening where you are kind of like introduced to the threat um, and then you kind of get this quick change in tone where things are a bit more light and even comedic as as this kind of moment develops between the two characters meeting. Um, and just how that kind of... I don't think you ever lose that sense of unease, or I certainly don't anyway, but you, you are kind of lured a bit more into like a full sense of security. You're like, okay, right, that was, you know, that was, uh, that was a tense and, and 
you know, of whatever start to the film. But now, okay, the film's starting. Let, let's see what happens here. Um, and I, I love the way that kind of opening scene unfolds as well the way it kind of the camera kind of like moves across uh this group and what i was going to come back to is bear with me on this as i make this (laughs) as i try and make this uh link make sense um but what we've just seen is the shark kind of locked onto their prey as it were um which we've seen in the opening and in this we kind of like pan across this group and we eventually stop on uh tom cassidy as the character's name and we only see that he is looking at something. So in a sense, you could say that his eyes are locked on his, I don't want to call her prey. That makes it sound mm. bad. But he is clearly, Chrissy, you know, this girl is is in his sights. And then he kind of goes over to, to make his move and then eventually pursues her. And that was something that dawned on me today. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen this film. Um, and I've also watched this opening scene in preparation for this podcast around seven times. Um, and it was only in my kind of fifth or sixth time of watching this particular scene uh, in preparation for this that that moment kind of dawned on me. And I was like, that's clever. And I'm not sure if I'm the only person who's thought this, but I like it. So, holy shit. Uh, <laughs> that oh my goodness i'm Um, so glad that i have like had that moment already (laughs) discovering something that we have not thought about before (laughs) yeah i you know it it is definitely uh to compare him to a predator yeah (laughs) a bit harsh we love you tom it's it's very harsh it's clear that it's a consensual thing that's happening between tom and chrissy for sure yeah um but but so that being said, I do think that the language of predator and prey is very much um, something that's applied to um, sort of people at parties kind of deciding who they, you know, mm. we kind of use the the um, the phraseology of, of sexual conquests, right? Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's not an uncommon phrase. Mm. So to ap- apply that language to it is it kind of accurate. Um uh, especially in that era with, you know, with the, the, the sort of decoration you see around that of the, the folk music, which was born out of the, you know, free love mm. movement. They're passing joints around the campfire um, in the background. So it's definitely making some sort of a statement, not necessarily a bad one. I don't think it's portraying Tom as like the reason Chrissy died or anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but it is making that connection between, you know, this this apex predator of, of the shark versus the way, you know, young people at parties interact with each other when trying to, you know, mm. um, find someone to hook up with for the night or, you know, maybe longer. I don't know Tom's intention. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think that's that's extremely accurate mm-hmm. um, of, of applying that language and... and thinking to that sequence Mm. good job thank you thank you i'm I'm very (laughs) proud of myself um yeah i noticed as well like in in that moment that like pretty much like i didn't kind of pause it to check but all the other couples it seems like everyone else is kind of like in in a couple like there is Mm. you know a, a, a girl and a guy and they're all chatting and everyone kind of like has like their person that they've kind of like matched up with and tom is alone and Chrissy is is there alone as well. And that kind of also fits in with the narrative we have later with the shark where he is described as like a rogue. He is like the one who has kind of like broken away from the, the, the pack and is now pursuing his his prey solo. Um, so yeah, I, I am not, <laughs> not calling uh, a lovely Tom a predator at all, but I think that there are some really cool parallels there that I think maybe wouldn't kind of like pick up on on like first or or second watch of this film but this film is truly the gift that keeps on giving and (laughs) yeah well and and you know the other thing predators do is they separate things from the pack once again tom doesn't just like slide in and separate chrissy but he notices oh chrissy isn't you know involved in a conversation which Mm. is you know in, in in human social structure is sometimes um an invite for conversation sometimes it's not um but you know he he, sh- he shoots a shot 
Yeah. Gotta give it to Tom, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> uh, and I do think that that sort of um, hard cut from the menacing Jaws theme that is so iconic to just kind of like a, a shitty harmonica riff from some <laughs> drunk college kid around a campfire. It's very funny. Yeah. Um, and it's very... Yeah, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth when you said uh, lures you into a false sense of security because you kind of forget a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you, you, there's this this great thing that happens in that campfire scene where the cut happens and you kind of go, ha uh-oh. <laughs> and then it goes on for so long just tracking across this group of kids and... and then to Tom and Chrissy and their interaction that you kind of get involved. It's very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that sequence that's lit very warmly. Um, everyone's under blankets. They're, you know, you know, they have social lubricant getting passed around um, in, in terms of, you know, cigarettes and joints and, and, and alcohol. And so it's very like comforting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a situation where you would feel comfortable hanging out with your friends on the beach around a fire, playing music and screwing around and stuff. And then, so you do kind of immediately hop into that, especially because these are the first people you've seen, right? And so, mm-hmm. as people, we can connect pretty immediately with other people by seeing them on the screen. Um, and so we go from the shark per, shark POV to seeing these these college students and just kind of like, oh yeah, that's that is young people hanging out, and I know what that feels like, mm-hmm. and you sort of do almost forget that, oh, one of these is gonna, they're gonna, they got it coming. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, it's, it's really great the way he, they, they do that with the music. The music comes, then becomes also part of the scene. Like you said, they're physically playing the music in, in that scene. Mm. Um, and it's just a really great setup because, you know, horror and, um, comedy are kind of two sides of the same coin it's basically to misdirect you and then bring something back as a surprise to either elicit a scream or a laugh right Mm, yeah and this movie is so effective at that at every turn of just okay this is happening i mean not to get too far ahead of us but like ben gardner is Mm. the (laughs) all-time um example of that but you just get you know you get comfortable in it and then especially because water is calming you know people take baths to relax they swim as a form of exercise to relax and unwind with each other and Mm. um you know go into swimming pools for the same reason and go to the you know a beach trip is like oh i need to get away yeah i need to be relaxed and then he's taking this very comfortable thing for everyone on the planet and applying this very menacing um, uh, pest mm. to that uh, that setting. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that makes this opening so effective is that it takes something that, like you said, feels very safe and warm and secure and then kind of the way it then like reintroduces that threat, I think, is so effective and the further the further away they get kind of from the campsite the darker it gets so we sort of when we see them as they run along the beach we can we can still see them depending on how good yeah your uh version of jaws is that you're watching and in 4k you can see it all um so we kind of like see them as they are running along the beach and they're kind of taking their clothes off and they're having a laugh and he's falling over and it's it's still at that point quite comical um but the the light and the warmth is fading and then it gets darker and darker and darker to the point when where they are kind of particularly tom when he is right by the shore and he is like struggling to take his jumper off (laughs) again very funny um it's really dark like we can only really see him in in silhouette and then when we see uh, Chrissy in the water again, it's the the sun is going down. So there's that obviously the sense that the scene is getting darker. What we're gonna see is getting darker, um, and everything kind of in the environment reflects that. And I think it's done so subtly that you almost don't notice it. You you've kind of left that like warm, safe, happy place at the campsite. Um, 
it kind of still has those those comedic moments as they are kind of getting nearer the sea um but then the 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 tone and everything else just starts to feel that much more dark and that is kind of like reflected in the environment and i think that's really interesting and how it and how it does that um and how it balances those uh those moments of comedy as well like i will always laugh at tom when he's kind of like stumbling around and he's like i'm not drunk and it's like yeah you, yeah. yeah you are <laughs> and what does he say i can swim i can't yeah. walk or undress myself <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so great and he, i just i feel a little bit sorry for him in that moment as well because like yes yeah. he avoided getting eaten by a shark but also you know he had this like great opportunity to have like a lovely moment with a pretty girl and he just mucks it up by stumbling around drunk on the beach and i'm like oh tom (laughs) yep yeah it's it's tom's actually like very likable which is cool Mm. because usually it's like a douchey boyfriend yeah in that scene um and tom's very just like hey man like you saw your opportunity you went for it she was down like Mm -hmm. good for you man and then (laughs) that happens and you're like oh man well i don't want to say better luck next time because how do you recover from this yeah (laughs) yeah certainly some uh trauma that would be addressed there i feel (laughs) yeah this definitely isn't a you win some you lose some situation no Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um yeah just another thing i wanted to touch on quickly was i guess the significance of um the Christy undressing as she goes into the ocean as well so there is that sense that when you um don't have your clothes on you are kind of open and you are vulnerable and I think all of these kind of pieces are gradually kind of like slotted in together as we see this scene unfold where that threat is growing and like we said it is getting noticeably darker just you know night is closing in but also that sense that she is now vulnerable and more kind of open to the elements i guess and yeah i guess just the the significance of of that as well um as she kind of like goes into the water yeah um there's that and then there's always like nudity surrounding a lot of those early slasher films like their first victims Mm. are uh usually female and usually topless Mm. um that that goes the same for halloween um it's it's definitely a sort of um in like uh, oh man uh i'm not gonna get the title of it correct but it's definitely like feminist film theory Mm. is definitely that's definitely something you talk about in in that is um oh gosh is it called like the the virgin madonna thing like they're the ones who survive and then the ones who are you know more promiscuous don't um etc like i why am i so bad at explaining this right now (laughs) we know what you mean it's okay (laughs) yeah yeah it's that's that's a very common you know thing and and for all intents and purposes jaws at the beginning especially is very much a slasher movie Mm. and it falls right into that that same convention of you know the 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 promiscuous woman is punished for being promiscuous and you know uh do we have later on do we have an example of someone who's not get, being spared by the shark hmm because usually that's the usually that's the, the 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 convention is that the 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 one who's promiscuous gets punished and the one who's like kind of more virginal and and um you know abstinent for lack of a better word is is, is spared by it but i don't think that happens i don't think that second part happens in jaws no, I think we um the only bit that I can think of is where is that there is that moment where the shark like actually kind of like glides past um Michael Brody and like the kind of the young child I guess is spared, but I don't know yeah. if that's the kind of exact thing you're thinking of or Yeah, but I think that I think that you know, I think this movie kind of uh once again not to get too ahead of ourselves, it kind of plays fast and loose with that convention anyway because it kills a kid later. Yeah. Like that doesn't happen in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> it, you know, this shark is indiscriminate, mm. I think is, is, is really what that comes back around to say of like, you know, maybe for whatever reason, uh, a human slasher would make that distinction. If even if subconsciously, 
but this shark doesn't care mm. it sees it, it just sees meat yeah <laughs> i think actually that's uh, i mean we will absolutely get to that when we kind of discuss the that particular kill of the shark but it's interesting what jaws does in kind of like the the i guess the first kill is quite typical of of horror of of slasher films in particular and that is how this film kind of like sets itself up um Mm -hmm. but it very quickly kind of breaks that as well and the next kill i believe is alex um Mm -hmm. so yeah i i find i still find that like one of the most shocking moments uh in the film i'm very much looking forward to getting to that but just how how many times this film kind of like pulls the rug from underneath you and i think that is one of the things that makes it scary because like you said the shark isn't kind of only pursuing you know the the pretty blondes or whatever which which you you know you do see quite a lot in slasher films where they have like a particular type or a particular person that they are kind of going for whether it's you know young young women women sorry or or whatever it is but we we find out very we we think that might be the case with this based on the first kill but we very quickly find out that that isn't the case and i think that is one of the things that makes it so scary because it's like doesn't matter like it doesn't matter if you are a child an old man a fisherman a girl who just wants to go skinny dipping like it doesn't matter a dog a dog oh i don't i can't r.i.p pepper <laughs> i should mention this is uh the only film that doesn't fall victim to my usual rating which is like if anything happens to a dog i immediately take a star off um because i don't enjoy uh pooch peril or dog death of any kind um but i think because you don't see it and it's just implied uh it's way more subtle yeah jaws gets away with it (laughs) it's uh it's still perfect no stars are removed from jaws because it is perfect um yeah did you have anything else that you want i mean i i'm pretty sure that we could talk for at least another hour about just these first three and a half minutes but anything else that you had the uh, that you wanted to kind of specifically mention about this this opening or um yeah i think the the last thing i i i had written down is about how it's kind of twofold one there are certain movies that are a product of their time that work best within a product of their time i think of easy rider mm-hmm. um as one of them easy rider i'm sure is was very important i know it was very important to like countercultural cinema in the 60s it kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> it's it's not. I, I don't think it's very good. Uh, but a lot of people kind of first coming to it in you know twenty twenty or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it it definitely has the air of like the boomer dream. Um, but you know, in its time, that's what it was, mm-hmm. and it was very effective and caught on with a generation because of that. And. We t- we've been talking about how kind of timeless Jaws is. But the it looks like a 70s movie through and through. You know, the, those those hairstyles and clothing <laughs> choices are very 70s. But it's not condescending. Mm. It appeals to, um, you know, quote unquote, youth culture, mm. um, which was, you know, a big a big demographic at that time and still kind of is we've we've shifted it to be like the 18 to 35 year old demographic or whatever. But I think it definitely is a movie that appeals to a younger audience without talking down to it because it was made by someone who was of that culture at the time. He was 27. Mm. I looked it up. He was 27 when he made it. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of slasher movies can feel like they're, they're punishing the younger people uh, whether they're, you know, being sexually promiscuous or not just for being younger Mm. and inexperienced. And this movie takes the language of like, Hey, you know how to hang out with people and you know what hanging out with people feels like. And it doesn't feel like they're being punished Mm. for doing that. It just feels like they're unfortunate victims of circumstance. They were in the wrong place at the right time. Yeah. And that's it. And so it doesn't have this air of condensation to the fact that Chrissy is being murdered. Like it doesn't, it does not feel like she is being murdered because she's naked. Yeah. You know, and and it doesn't feel like Tom is being punished for going after her. Mm. And it doesn't feel like they're being punished for partying on the beach. So it's not 
talking down to that generation. It's just like, oh, that's scary. What if that happened to us while that, ha you know, if we were in a similar situation? Um, so I think that it goes a long way to why it caught the zeitgeist so much because a lot of, you know, this is one of the, the new Hollywood uh, film school brat, right? Um, movies. And I think that went a long way to, to appealing to it rather than talking down to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well, like it's, it's it would have been any of it would have been not just any of those kids it would have been anyone who happened to be in mm -hmm. the water at that time so it's not there's there isn't that sense of kind of like oh these dumb kids out partying or whatever and so it yeah it's it's never kind of attacking one particular group like we said this shark he will kill anybody he doesn't care he's just hungry like he's he yeah. doesn't discriminate um so i think that that is part of the reason why jaws just kind of has that universal appeal but also that longevity as well like you said it it, it does feel like a 70s film and look like a 70s film but it doesn't necessarily have those those kind of um yeah like you said it's not kind of looking down on a particular group and you don't sort of look back at it and go oh those ideas or those things it's putting across are old-fashioned it feels kind of timeless in in that sense because this particular threat would be a threat regardless of what decade or time you were in and i think something that will certainly uh come across in some of our later episodes um will be how uh frightening and relevant certain aspects of Jaws are yeah. to right now. I'm personally very excited to talk all about uh, Larry Vaughan um, and his wonderful suits and uh, <laughs> what a terrible person he is. But yeah, this film has, I think, particularly to to this year and all the stuff that we are going through across the world so i don't i don't you know i'm i'm in the uk and you're in the us it's not just us everyone is experiencing something but i think uh, <laughs> us in particular with the who we have making our decisions and who is in power i have seen comparisons made uh, to the mayor of jaws more than i would like to and i love seeing any jaws content any meme you know i'm here for it but also i'm like oh no it's 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 happening like my favorite movie is coming to life and i'm not happy about it <laughs> yeah right um oh last last thing i have is am i the only one who says swimming whenever i go to a pool <laughs> you are absolutely not alone uh in that <laughs> I love the delivery of that line. I love... It's so great. Yeah. Chrissy in that scene in general was just like, she's so happy. Like, as she's like running to the beach as well, she is laughing. She is having a grand old time. Um, and even when she is kind of like in the water as well, like she's she's completely like unaware of what is literally about to come up and like bite her on the ass. And that is like yeah. both very charming and also terrifying. Like particularly when you know, well, we know what's, <laughs> we know what's coming next. Yeah. Um, and that is uh, what we will be talking about on next week's episode. It's a, it's a meaty one next week's episode. And I'm <laughs> in more ways than one. Um, I'm going to, I'm probably going to say this every week that I'm looking forward to like every episode, but um, yeah, I think next week's will be a, a very, interesting discussion and um yeah i'm i'm excited for more more jaws just talking about jaws every single week minute by minute or there thereabouts and um yeah i don't think i've got anything else to uh to add for the discussion today other than uh i'm just really happy that in all my years of being a jaws fan and how many times i've watched it i spotted something this time that i've never seen before i'm i'm so happy and i hope that continues uh, as we do this <laughs> Yeah, I'm interested to see how much new perspective we have on this film by the end of it, mm. where it's just like really paying attention to it minute or thereabouts by minute um, <laughs> to, to, to really break down, you know, it's, it's forcing me to externally examine these things that I kind of internally have recognized as being great, but never really brought to the forefront of my mind, like the the thing about the, the the shark being on the hunt by the the camera movements, I you know mm -hmm. it's very obvious when you look at it, but I've never thought that out loud. Yeah. I've never said that out loud to another person. So it's you know it's I'm really excited to see how much deeper of an understanding and appreciation we'll come to get for 
this movie we already have a deep appreciation and understanding of. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I am looking forward to, by the end of this, uh, just loving this film even more than I do right now. And I didn't think that was possible, but it turns out every time I watch it, I love it a little bit more. So yeah. my love for this film by the time we finished will be through the roof. And I'm very excited personally <laughs> to yeah. go on this journey. Um, so much great stuff to, to talk about coming up um yeah so uh as we get on out of here do you want to tell tell the good people where they can find us uh on social media and how they can get in touch with us as well yeah um we are taking a guest request we are not uh you know fully booked up for that so if you're interested you can reach out to us if you want to be a guest we have several ways you can do that um we're on twitter at jaws for a minute that's our official show um username on on twitter and then you we're each individually on twitter at sarah buttery and at mj smith 891 and then if you have any questions or feedback or um memories and and observations about jaws you are on this journey with us as much as we are and we would love to hear from you we have an email address jaws for a minute at gmail.com um yeah, what do you guys think about these first three and a half-ish minutes of uh, the the greatest film of all time? <laughs> I'm so keen to hear from people that are kind of going on this journey with us. I really hope that people kind of watch along as we go. And, and you know, I mentioned at the top, like, the the exact sort of uh, timestamp of the scene that we watch. So we'll, we'll keep doing that, I think, as we go along um, and keep track of that so people can watch along. Um, just, or, I mean... I will truly be impressed if anyone does this, but anyone who like watches Jaws like every single week in preparation for our episodes, um, yeah. we if you are that person and you can prove it, we'll find some way of um, making you feel very special and we will bow down to you. Uh, <laughs> um, we had a, um, a little joke like between us as well where we sort of said like, we wonder like by the end of this process, how many times we will have watched Jaws all the way through, not just like one scene um so i think we should we should keep track of that and uh we'll see by the end who has watched it more uh <laughs> how insane that number is how skewed our letterboxed stats will be because of it um and and how upset our partners are that we've watched jaws <laughs> so many times <laughs> i just i just have to mention very very quickly like when i was watching uh the scene uh that we've just finished talking about um my fiance came in the room and was like what are you watching? And then it just immediately was like, oh, Jaws. <laughs> and then and then, le- and then left of the room. I was like, this is not the first time this is going to happen. Uh, it certainly will not be the last time. Um, nope. Just every week just just pops in as I'm about to record and is like, oh, Jaws. <laughs> um, that happens a lot anyway. Like even pre-podcast days, I feel like that is a thing that happens a lot. So. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. Oh, Jaws again. Cool. Yeah. I'll be on my phone in the room. Yeah. <laughs> I am not sorry and I have no regrets. Um, great. I think uh, that is that is us for this week. So, yep, do go and check out all of our socials and get in touch. Um, email as well. We would love to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, we will be back with more Jaws goodness next week. So we'll see you then.